بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن شاء الله today we are going to talk about the third part of the story of قطز and تتار and if you recall from last time we are now uh, where the Tatar, the uh, Mughal state, is covering most of the Islamic land, most and, and Islamic state already occupied by uh, the Mughal. Uh, we reached the point that they are now actually occupied uh, all of the eastern part of the Islamic states, and now they are in Syria, Palestine, Jordan. And they are at the borders of Egypt. It was <clears throat> it was an obvious step after that that they will go and conquer Egypt. So uh, that was their next step. And if you recall, beyond Egypt, Egypt is in North Africa, as we all know. So beyond Egypt, there was uh, all those Western states of the, of the Islamic Western uh, Western part of the Islamic. Uh, uh, states and those were actually already in conflict and they were declining already. Andalus was already being uh, taken up by the the Crusaders and Dawlat al Muhaddin, the state of Muhaddin, in the in the western part of the Islamic world was already disintegrating and fighting each other. So they were in a very weak position. So if Egypt falls in the hands of uh, of the Tatar, there's really nothing left of the Islamic world. They will, you know, they will just proceed to the towards the Atlantic Ocean. There will be nothing left. So uh, it was a critical situation. Uh, at that time, uh, in what was going on, let us look at what was going on in Egypt. Egypt was under the rule of uh, Mamalik state, Dawlat al-Mamalik. Um, now, <clears throat> Dawlat al-Mamalik, or the Mamalik state, is a, is a state that was established in Egypt after the decline of Najmuddin Ayyub. Najmuddin Ayyub, he was the latest of the Ayyubiyin, who was uh, controlling Egypt and Sham, and uh, Syria, and uh, uh, Jordan, and Palestine. Uh, and these are, Ayyubiyin are actually the descendants from Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi. So, they, Salah al-Din, as we know, was, was, a, was a very, very famous Islamic hero. However, his children, as we knew, that they, they went into uh, trouble with each other and they were fighting each other. So <clears throat> all these areas were under their control. Now, Najmuddin Ayyub was one of the good persons. Uh, he was, uh, you know, was following Islam and Islamic uh, teachings. And he was ruling Egypt at the time. He was in fight with Nasr al-Din Ayyub. Nasr al-Din Ayyub was actually based in Damascus. He was, his base was Damascus. And they were always fighting against each other. Uh, he was his brother. But still, they were always fighting on land and on, on dunya. <laughs> so, when you, anyway. So, during that time, Najm al-Din Ayyub, he had this habit or it was customary at the time, not only in, in Egypt, but in, in different uh, Islamic states, 
they had this uh, thing of uh, buying slaves. You know, trading in slaves was, was customary in that period. And uh, the people who were supplying slaves obviously were the Tatar, the Magul. Uh, and those people, you know, the slaves, that, that actually they were captured from their conquer of the Islamic world. So they were selling them in different markets. And uh, Najmuddin Ayyub had this idea, this vision, because of his problem with his brothers and so on. He wanted to form a small, you know, his, his own army that will actually defend Egypt. So he used to rely on those people, those slaves, that he used to buy from those areas, you know, just on the borders of the Islamic uh, nation. He used to buy those slaves, young, young children, and he puts them in schools and trains them according to Islam, gives them the, national, the Arabic language, gives them the deen, the sharia, and teach them, teaches them Quran and everything, and teaches them the principles of uh, knighthood and military. So he used, he used to have schools in Egypt to do that. And those children were, you know, they were always forming the army of Egypt, and they were fighting uh, on behalf of Najmuddin Ayyub. One of those children that uh, rose up to the uh, leadership of the Egyptian army in, in Egypt was Qutuz. Qutuz comes uh, from a royal family, from the Khawarizmi royal family. You if you recall, there was the, the conquering of uh, 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 the Khawarizmi state, which was the, the biggest state at the time, uh, you know, controlling the eastern part of the Islamic world. It was conquered by the Tatar, by the Mughal. And they, uh, one of the people that they actually captured was those, the children of uh, the, the Khawarizmi ruler. And they kept this guy, this Qutuz, uh, he was like 15 years old at the time. They kept him alive to, to sell him as a slave. His name is Mahmoud ibn Mamdud. His original name is Mahmoud ibn Mamdud. And he, as we said, comes from the royal family of the Khawarizm. And uh, uh, he was uh, enslaved by the Tatar and was sold actually in Damascus to one of the rich guys in Damascus. And uh, he moved, you know, uh, selling from one to the other and so on until he ended up in Egypt. He was bought by Najmuddin Ayyub, who was the control, uh, in control of Egypt at the time, and he was raised uh, as a military guy in, in, the, in the schools of Najmuddin Ayyub. Eventually he became, um, because of his, uh, you know, because of his uh, attributes, he became a leader of the army of Egypt. And he was, uh, there, there was, there was two types of Mamalik in Egypt. There's Mamalik, which is referring, Mamalik means, usually it refers to the military. So there was the military of the navy, Mamalik al-Bahriya, and there is a Mamalik of Ma'aziyya, which is related to uh, the ruler at the time. And he was from the other Mamalik. And actually, even in Egypt, those Mamalik, they were fighting against each other. Because they, they wanted also to control and you know, be you know, on the top of the, of the government. So they were also fighting against each other. Anyway, he came to, uh, uh, as, I mean, as, as we've seen, Mahmoud ibn Mamdud was Qutuz, um, he uh, suffered a lot from the Tatar. So he had this, his crunch in his heart is against the Tatar. 
because he he have seen what he has they have done to his family what they have seen he has seen what he have how they slaughtered his family so he had this you know his 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 uh, his thoughts against them um there is a long history of Malik. We don't want to go through that because it's, it's a very long history. But we came to a point at the time when Qutuz was at the leadership of the army. Uh, the main guy who was controlling Egypt at the time after Najmuddin, after Najmuddin uh, Ayyub died, the, the guy who was controlling Egypt was Azuddin Aybak. Azuddin Aybak is also a, one of the Mamalik. And uh, Azuddin Aybak was uh, married to. Uh, the previous wife of Najmuddin Ayyub, which was Shajarat al-Durr. If you, if, you, if you remember, I don't know if you know about Shajarat al-Durr. Shajarat al-Durr was also his wife, and she was originally con controlling Egypt. But, of course, at the time, you know, when you have a woman controlling the, the country in Egypt, people did not like that, and they were having a lot of revolutions against her. So, um, so uh, she married this guy. Who was, he thought, she thought that he's a weak guy, so she married this Mamluk, was Azuddin Ayyub, he was in the army, and she made him the ruler so that she can rule you know, from the background. That didn't work because I didn't, Azuddin Ayyub did it. <laughs> Azuddin Afwan, Azuddin Aybak, he turned out to be a very strong man at the end. Eventually, anyway, there are a lot of fights and a lot of things, and until Shirdur was killed, at the, uh, sorry, Shirdur, she killed Azuddin Ayyub at one point. And then she was killed also later on. But anyway, there's so, so many fights in it. We don't want to go through that story. <clears throat> At the time of uh, uh, all of that is happening, by the way, when Baghdad was falling down in the year 656 Hijri. That all of this was happening in Egypt at the same time when the Mughal was moving in Iraq and then moving to Syria and to, to the Bilad al-Sham. Uh, eventually, uh, Nur al-Din Nur Ali, who was the son of Azuddin Aybak, had uh, came into control of Egypt. Now, Nur al-Din Ali is a child who is 15 years old. He's a very young, a very young child. And uh, Qutuz was as a leader. He became like the custodian of Nur al-Din Ali. So he ruled in, in a way. He, Qutuz was ruling Egypt since he was the custodian of Nur al-Din Ali because he was a, a young child for about two years. Then things, all this, what we've heard about the approaching of the Tatar, he was, he was watching that, the presence of uh, the fights of the Crusaders against Egypt, and the uh, Emirates of uh, you know, the, 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 the Crusaders Emirates in, 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 uh, in Palestine, all of that was happening around Egypt. And Qutuz thought that this cannot happen. I mean, people also were not happy with a young child controlling Egypt. Egypt was the main strength at the time for the Muslims. So Qutuz decided to take over the rule and put him, put himself as the ruler of Egypt instead of this young child. He, he moved him away from the, the ruling of, uh, of Egypt. No, he didn't kill him, but he just moved him away. So he controlled, he's now the control, he became the controller of Egypt. And uh, people, you know, of course, the Mamalik Bahri, as we said, they were against him. They did not want him to be uh, the ruler. So, uh, you know, it was a difficult time for him. He took this decision, uh, he had uh, intentions, he had good intentions in his heart, he was a good Muslim, and he, he wanted to establish the rule in Egypt, uh, establish the situation in Egypt, so that he can actually um, fight against the Tatar and, and you know, establish a, a stable state. Uh, 
Now, uh, after he took over, he started building the state, you know, building an Islamic state to try and, and stand up against the Turk. Um, now, the situation in Egypt was bad in all sense because from, from an economic point of view, there was, not, there was a lot of fighting. They were already coming you know, out from a fight with the, with the Crusaders, two main fights, with, which is uh, the fight of Demiat and uh, the, the fight of uh, Faraskor. It's a big, big, uh, big fights that actually the Muslims, the uh, uh, Mamalik, made a, a good victory in them against the Crusaders. Um, and the economy was, you know, was, there was a lot of money spent on that, so there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of money in, in, in the country. Uh, from a political point of view, as we discussed, it is not a stable situation, obviously. It's a very, very bad situation. And from a military point of view, there are fights between, as we said, between the, the different parties in, in Egypt that are trying to take control of uh, the situation of the, of the ruling. So it was it was a, a really bad, difficult, a bad and difficult situation. So the 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 gist of the what we're talking about today is to look how did how did Kotos, this young man, he's about at the time he was doing this, he was about thirty five years old. How did this young man manage to establish a state, a statehood that is capable of resisting? that big power of the world that was controlling almost the whole world now. So the first thing he did, he wanted to establish all these aspects on Egypt. The first thing he did, after he took rule of Egypt, he gathered all, all the ministers, all the, the prince, you know, the kings, and the, I mean, princes, you know, the, the Omar al-Mamalik, that's princes of Mamalik, all of them. And he gathered all the leaders of the army and so on. And he talked to them. He gave him just one word. He said, I'll just read it in Arabic. He told all the leaders in Egypt that I didn't, my intentions of taking the ruling of Egypt is just, just to be able to fight those Mughals. Tatar. So if <laughs> so if if Allah subhanahu wa taala make us you know make give us conquering on on those Mughal, that will give you the rule of Egypt and you do whatever you give it to whom you want whoever you you want I don't care I just want you all to understand that I, I'm not after the ruling I don't want the ruling of Egypt I just want to fight the Mughal. and. It seems that, uh, you know, subhanAllah, his, his words were very true and were, were very sincere because all what he did after that was really preparation of Egypt to fight the Tata. And this is the Sunnah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says in the Quran, Inna Allah la yuslihu amal al-mufsideen. If he wasn't sincere, then his work will not have been achieved. His, his, his achievements will not, wouldn't have been achieved. So, and he started after that working on organizing things. So he gave whoever deserves from the Mamalik, regardless if they were Bahriya or Mu'azziya, and he actually gave the leadership of the army to one of the Mamalik Bahriya who were against him. And uh, he gave them the leadership of the army so that he's, you know, he's trying to reconcile now with the Mamalik Bahriya. And that he was, he achieved that by, you know, reconciling with the Mamalik Bahriya. So everybody was, 
you know happy with with, uh, with the approach that he was taking um, uh, the one who actually led the army from Amalik Bahriya was Faris al-Din Aktai. Faris al-Din Aktai, uh, the young Faris al-Din Aktai. There were two Faris al-Din Aktai. Again, it's a long history, but this is the, the younger one, and he was, he was, he was a good-raised uh, man, and he was put on the, on the leadership of the army, and he thought he, 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 would, he would serve good on, lead, on leading the army. And he also brought back Dahir al-Din, Rukn al-Din Babers. Rukn al-Din Babers, he was one of his main allies. But he was, they, were, they had this fight because he was from Mamalik Bahriya, from the Navy. So he actually sent him, he, he went, he, he escaped from Egypt and went to Palestine. So he asked him to come back to stand with him and help him. And he actually came and helped, helped Qutuz in his fight. And he put him actually as one of the leaders of the army. He didn't do. He didn't only do that. He actually sent messages to a UBN in in, in Sham in in, the, in Damascus and in, uh, in Palestine and uh, in Jordan, asking him asking them to come, you know, join forces to fight that attack. And unfortunately, Nasr Din Ayyubi was in in, in Damascus, Damascus. He refused, and uh, he insisted. He actually joined the Tatar to fight against Qutuz. So anyway, he actually told them, he actually offered them to get the leader. He said, I don't want the leadership. You come and join me, and you take the leadership of the, all the armies, of the Islamic armies. I don't want any leadership. But and, yeah, they, they, did not, they did not listen to him. So he's, he still had the struggle. Some of the people actually answered him, and he joined. Some, some of the people, some of the, like, um, uh, the, the, the guy who was controlling Hama in Syria, he joined his forces and he brought his army with with the Qutuz. So some helped him and some did not. Now he had another problem, uh, and this is also one of the things that we should learn from uh, from uh, you know in 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 our current uh, situation. He had a big problem in Egypt, as we said, from the economic point of view. There was there wasn't uh, you know because of the wars, because of those dif differences, because of the fighting amongst each other. They didn't have a lot of money in Egypt, so he wanted to actually prepare the army. He should, you know, he should have enough money to prepare a big army like that. Uh, so uh, he had to go back to the people of Egypt at the time. People of Egypt, uh, it seems that they had they had good, very two good characters, and we should mention this at this point in time. Uh, they have uh, the first character is that they had a lot of respect. For the uh, scholars and scientists, the Islamic scientists, they had they had a good appreciation to the people who were scientists, and they actually listened to the scientists, to the Islamic scientists and scholars, and they if they say something, they would even listen to them and not to the rulers. It was a good character of the people of Egypt at that time. So they they they, they listened and they you know they appreciated the Islamic scientists, and at the same time, people of Egypt also because they had to fight. The Crusaders a lot. The word jihad, jihad fi sabilillah, was not a strange, them strange, strange thing to them, as it was strange to other, a lot of other people in the Islamic nations. Uh, so they appreciated also jihad, and they know what jihad fi sabilillah means. So when when Qutuz was speaking about jihad fi sabilillah against the Tar, they understood and they comprehended that, and they, they related to that word. You you know, imagine it was it, the jihad. The word jihad was becoming strange thing to say. At the time in the Islamic world, 
except in, in uh, you know, by Qutuz and when he actually revitalized that, that word. So, uh, and that's why Egypt became actually a center for all the scholars uh, of the, you know, scientists of the Muslims. And uh, they were traveling to Egypt because of this appreciation. And they came to Egypt to settle there. One of those main people, and we should mention that very strange, you know, with a, with a very uh, strong uh, underline that helped Qutuz a lot in his fight against, uh, against the Tar, is a guy called Al-Izz ibn Abdul-Salam. Al-Izz ibn Abdul-Salam. He was, he was a scholar. He was based, he was a Syrian from Damascus. And he was persecuted by uh, Nasr al-Din Ayyub because he stood against him. He was, he, he was, you know, outspoken against him. So he was persecuted, jailed, and eventually he, he escaped to Egypt to actually stay, uh, you know, to stay with Qutuz. Because, as we said, because of the welcoming uh, attitude. He was 80 years old at the time when he, when he moved to Egypt. Qutuz had a great respect for this man. So whatever Qutuz was doing, he had to listen to his man. He actually was the khatib of the, the main mosque in, in, in Cairo. So he was assigned as, as in that capacity. And he was the mufti of Cairo. And uh, Izz al-Din, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Izz ibn Abdul Salam, he used to, uh, you know, with the, with the arrangement of Qutuz, he used to uh, talk to people in Egypt about jihad, he used to encourage them to fight the Tata. And he told also all the scholars, other scholars, to do the same. So he was, he was a moving part, a very important moving part of, uh, you know, uh, uh, setting up the, the mentality and setting up the morals of the people to fight the Tata. And this is very important. This is what we should learn. Uh, you, the people are actually the main supply of any leader. If you get the people right and you got the moral raised, then you have you have a good people to fight the Tata. So, Azib the Salam played a very important role, and he was going in, you know in hands in hands with Qutuz. So, going back to the economic issue. So he gathered the people, uh, you know, the main, uh, the government and the uh, Hazrat Salam and the scholars and everybody, and started asking, "What can we do? We want to do something about this. We need the money. So uh, uh, we want. Can we? Can we put taxes on people so that we can actually support the army with those taxes?" And uh, Hazrat Salam said, because you know he, he says that, and um, you know, when, when the scholars are there, he wants to know the Ra'i of Sharia in this. And Hazrat Salam said, "No." You cannot do that. The only, the first, first of all, he said you can do that only in one condition. You can get, you can go to that status of getting taxes to support the army because it's a, it's a moral, it's a moral uh, thing to do because we have to fight. So uh, you can do it, but you have to satisfy two conditions. So the the first principle, Abdus Al Salam said that if we have an, uh, uh, people who are coming to actually fight the Islamic world and Notice the language that they were using now. They are not talking about Egypt only. They are talking about Islam as an Islam. And that's what Qutuz had all, all in his mind. It doesn't matter where you're born, because actually Qutuz was not from Egypt. He was, he was from Khawarizm. He was from the eastern part of the Islamic, uh, Islamic country. So he didn't care about, uh, or, or he, didn't, uh, he didn't make it nationalistic that it's only the problem of Egypt, it's the problem of Islam. And he always emphasized that if we don't fight those people, they will conquer Islam as a whole. 
So anyway, uh, the same the same with Al-Azza ibn Abdul Salam. So he says, if if we were, if Muslims were attacked by an enemy like that, the whole world, meaning the whole Muslim Islamic world, should fight back. So that was in their in their mind all the time. So anyway, going back to the economic situation, he said there are two conditions. First of all, there shouldn't be anything in Bayt al-Mal of the Muslimin from zakah. You should spend all the zakah first on the army, whatever remaining. Then you should sell as you, as as kings and uh, and and princes and, uh, and prince and uh, and and kings, you should sell all your belongings first. Nothing. You should keep nothing out of your belongings. Sell all of your things that you already obtained because you you are you are in this leadership because of the Muslims. So sell everything. Whatever you have of qusur, you know, palaces or, you know, horses, whatever you have, just keep one thing, your your weapon and your horse. The rest you should sell. And and Qutuz was the first one to say that, okay, I'll go and I'll take this right, take this fatwa. He sold everything. He only kept his horse and his weapon. And the same, of course, and this is what one, one another, another attitude that Qutuz used to do, what we call by example, setting up example to the people. So he used to do the first thing himself. He applies the thing on, on himself and then asks the people to follow him. And that's what they did. They sold everything. And from the, those, those things that they sold, all those princes and, and kings and, and ministers, all what they sold was sufficient to support the army, and they didn't even need to take, take any taxes from the people. So that was sufficient to support the army. So that at this point now we have an army which is ready. We have this, you know, the situation in Egypt now stable regarding as 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 far as the as far as the uh, um, you know statehood is concerned. And uh, also, he, you know, he, he managed, as we said, we, he managed to talk to the people outside from a political point of view outside Egypt to, to unify the, the front. So it, it, at, all, at doing all of that, all, all of, at, the, at the fourth month of him taking leadership, a message comes from Gaza in, in Palestine by the Tatar. Four messengers came to Qutuz. The four messengers were, had a very bad letter to uh, Qutuz, uh, saying in, in the letter, basically what it says is that you have to surrender to the Tatar. We are coming to you. You have to surrender. Or the same thing will happen in Egypt, similar to what happened in Iraq and Baghdad. The same thing will happen to Cairo and Egypt, similar to what happened to Iraq and Baghdad. That was the, the, the content of the letter. So it was a very strong letter, very bad letter that was sent by uh, the Tatar. What Qutuz did, was to kill the four messengers on the spot. He killed them all so that he doesn't leave any chance to the people to rethink this. He wants to fight, that that there's no way back. He has to fight. So it was, you know, the Tatar declared uh, war against him, and he replied back with declaring the same thing. So he declared war. He just said, there's no, no, no way that we're going back on this. So, you know, the Tatar was so strong that he was worried that some of the Mamalik will you know, will be frightened or something. So he said, I'm not giving a chance to this. So he killed the four messengers. Of course, now there are scholars, some scholars say this is not right, because in Islam you should not kill, uh, you should not kill the messengers. Uh, but that's what he thought at the time. Maybe he was right, maybe I was wrong. But 
uh, that's what what was his thinking to declare war against the Tatar. That there's no way, no turning back. I'll stop here. It's uh, it's it, the, 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 anyway. The gist I wanted to mention in in, in this uh, this part is that that's what we um, we should bear in mind. How 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 Qutuz prepared Egypt. How he prepared the Islamic army to fight against the Tatar. And this should set us, you know, an example for whatever, whatever we are passing in through these times. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Salatu Salam, Ala Sayyidina Muhammad, Ala Ali, Wa Sahbihi Akbar.